Hi everybody, this is Lori Weaver. Welcome to Compulsive Overeating Diary, day 57. It's now been 19 weeks, six days, since I began this experiment where I talk about my thoughts and feelings about compulsive overeating rather than heading for the chips. And I'd like to welcome you all, brave companions, to my next to upper zen place. Hooray, that's right, I got out of bed today and my knee felt okay and my back felt okay and I knew it was gonna be very hot today so I headed out early up the hill and I made it safe and sound to my next to upper zen place in the shade. This makes me feel so happy and delighted and peaceful. There's no wind, so I don't think you'll hear that. You might hear a few birds. I can hear a little bit of water running to my left where the river is flowing a little bit. I don't think that'll show up on the mic. Outside of it will make me feel very zen and very happy, which is a good thing because day 57 is a bonus episode. And for those who don't know, what I call a bonus episode is when I go off to talk just off the top of my head, whatever I'm thinking about without really looking at my little book or my notes or comments on my phone or anything like that, I just kind of go listen to Josh and see what I'm prompted to talk about and I talk it out with you. So when we come back from listening to Josh, we'll see what's on my mind. an interesting moment to be listening to I'm letting go and to see what comes to mind because my palms now are becoming very unzen because what comes to mind that I need to let go is a topic that is the most scary thing for me to talk about really really scary even worse than singing I swear I'd rather sing an opera aria right now in front of you all than talk about what is prompting me to talk about and that is my value and what I consider my value in terms of money. Money is harder to talk about with your spouse or your loved one than sex. <laughs> At least I know I've read that in a study somewhere. Money is very, very hard to talk about. And particularly in this case, what's in my mind is, all my career and all of the times I've had my own business and all of the different times I've done things, when did I get a lot of money versus no money or a little bit of money and why was that? But I'm going to come back to that topic in a little bit because I did have one thing I wanted to do and that is to give a good day and a shout out to our newest Brave Companion and listener, Monica, who lives near Sydney, Australia. And she wrote to me today in the contact form and because for her it's the middle of the day and I got up really early, I happened to get it before I came on my hike. So, Monica listened to the pathetic episode number four and came right away to say I'm listening in the contact form. And I told her to skip ahead to 57 to hear me say hello to her. So, hi Monica. So you brave companions, how about you go to day 57 when it posts and post a hello to Monica also. Now, brave 
Life Companions, I asked you to please post on day 57 and say hello to Monica. And I did that very clearly and forcefully. And I didn't couch it with, well, if you feel like it and if you're up to it and if you wouldn't mind, would you please come to day 57, which is more my usual style, right? That's because I'm not really good about being assertive. And when you're being assertive, that's when you are very clearly stating your preference and your wishes and what you wish to happen without putting like hedge around it or things that negate what you want to have happen. You just in a very neutral, matter of fact manner, state in some way what you wish and then you be quiet and you let things happen. So in this case, I asked you to come post hello to Monica. That is what I would like to have happen. Now this is me being quiet. One, two, three. Some of you will say, you know what? I'm gonna go do that. That sounds like a thing I want to do and you will post. Some of you might say, ah, I don't feel like it or yeah, I don't go to the website. Whatever you might say and you won't post. None of that has anything to do with me. I am not bad at all that I asked you to do something that I would like you to do. You know, I have every right to ask you and you have every right to tell me no. But for those of us who are used to being people pleasers and jumping as high as we can when anyone says jump, it's very difficult for us to ask or state our preference because we are assuming that the people on the other side of our preference are going to also feel compelled to do whatever we ask, even if they don't want to. And because we know how painful that is for us to do stuff we don't want to do because we're people pleasers, we don't want to put that pain on others. Therefore, we waffle around, we're wishy-washy, we're not assertive, we make it almost impossible for anybody to do what we want because we make it sound like we really don't want it done anyway. Does this, I hope this is making sense. But assertiveness, to me, when I'm being assertive, I feel like I'm being bitchy like I'm being overbearing, I'm being controlling. Like that's one of the big buttons that you can push with me to get me to back off. Unfortunately, my husband knows this really well. Oh, you're just being really controlling, Laura. You have to control everything. You have to have everything your way. Just because I say like, well, how about we have chicken for dinner? Okay, if I want chicken for dinner, that's not being controlling. That's just stating my preference, right? Now I'm giving Mark a little bit of a hard time. He's really not that bad. Now here I'm kind of backpedaling again, but as an example, when you're being assertive, you're not saying like, gosh darn it, we're having chicken no matter what you think about. I don't care if you had chicken for lunch. I don't care if we've had chicken 10 days in a row. I'm having chicken and that's the way it is. Now that's overbearing. But to say, I would like chicken for dinner, that is just a, that's just assertive. That's not offensive. That's not crazy. Now, what we're having for dinner is actually a pretty easy topic to talk about. And I did mark up my copy of Eating in the Light of the Moon, a book that was first recommended by Kendra and also recommended by Lisa and by Maddie and by others who've been reading it. And it's by Anita Johnston, PhD. And this book is really cool. It's got a lot of stories in it, but the paragraph I'm gonna read you today is not really one of the stories. It's about assertiveness and diet. So listen to this. Again, this is from Eating in the Light of the Moon. Assertiveness is probably the most important skill a woman must learn to begin to break free from disordered eating. 
Once she recognizes that she is eating or not eating in response to emotional stress rather than physical hunger, she is faced with the task of responding to that stress in another way. The reason diets don't work is that they focus on removing the disordered eating behavior without replacing it with another way to address the feelings and the underlying issues that trigger the behavior in the first place. In other words, let's say we go on a diet and we decide we're only going to eat protein or we decide we're only going to have 1,500 calories or, or whatever that is. That means if we've been compulsive overeaters or binge eaters, we're not using that food anymore to cover up our antsy feelings. Like if I stated my wish to you, if I said, I want you to come post to to Monica, and then I felt stress about that, that I did that, I might want to go home and eat some chips or make a cake or, or deal with my discomfort through food. Or if, assertive, if assertiveness is my problem, which it is, what I might do instead is find ways to practice being assertive. And that kind of leads me in a roundabout way to my topic of money and value and what I got paid and what I didn't get paid and why. Something that I noticed about myself, because I've really been thinking this through, I looked at my resume, my resume or CV or whatever you would call it, my list of stuff that I have done and careers and projects in my lifetime, and I saw, to my surprise, a direct correlation. The more the job was meaningful to me, important to me, invested by me with my emotional self, the less money I got paid, if any. If I really care about doing something, I tend to either do it for free or to really undervalue my physical dollar amount. Something I don't give a rat's ass about, I get paid a ton. A good example is when I took the job at the corporation, the one that I retired from, it was a really good job but it didn't feel like my kind of a job. I'd never worked in a corporation before and I was really on the fence. As I've shared before, what I really wanted to be was a motivational speaker. At that time, I had lost the weight at Weight Watchers. I was pretty slender. I thought, man, I'm queen of the world. I can go around and build a great career encouraging all women over 40 that they can do it too. They can eat less, move more, and they can stick with it, and they can become fitness marvels like me, right? I can motivate you and coach you and, you know, shine in my success. And I had had success giving little talks about my experiences, and I love talking, as I still do. That is the direction I wanted to go. But the economy had tanked. Our family budget could have used some money. And so my husband and I talked about it, and I went to the corporation as a contractor, you know, a temporary contractor. And I went there, and I did a good job. And come to pass, they wanted to hire me full time. My husband said, well, take this job because this is a great job. It pays well, good retirement benefits, which actually was a good thing. I'll come back to that later. But it was a stellar, steady job. When the HR department called me in to make me a job offer, I looked at the figure, that because they don't tell you money out loud, they write 
your salary down on a piece of paper and any bonuses and anything like that. And I looked him in the eye and said, oh, that's very generous, but I really wanted this amount. And I gave a figure that was some percentage higher than what they were offering me. And the reason I did that, and I was extremely professional, and they said, well, with your benefits package and the retirement and the benefits and things, you know, the, your, your whole package is substantially more than the dollar figure that you're quoting us. And I said, I understand that, but I've done my budget and this is what I need because a bonus you can give me or not give me year to year. I can't count on that, even though it is very generous and I appreciate a company that thinks their employees are worth, you know, giving some extra money to for doing a good job, but I can't build a budget on that and I've done my budget and I need X. I went home and told Mark that I had not accepted the job, that I had asked for more money. And let's just say he was not very pleased with me because in his opinion, this was a really good job. The economy was tanking and I was an idiot to turn down this job. But I knew they'd continue hiring me as a contractor for a while. And so I think part of me was hoping they'd come back. In fact, I was expecting them to come back and say, well, been nice talking to you, but no thanks. Whoosh, I would have dodged that bullet, gotten out of corporate America and gone off to do what I wanted to do. I said, well, see, honey, they just didn't want to hire me. Instead, they came back and said, we're happy to give you what you want. Damn, they gave me what I asked for. So there I was in corporate America having a really good job with a good salary with good benefits and all of this. So that doesn't sound like a very sorry story, does it? But the reason I was so clear and gave such a good reason is because I really did not care if they hired me or not. In fact, part of me kind of wished that they wouldn't. Now, if any from my company just happened to be listening to my podcast, I loved my job and working there. But you all know that I wasn't really a corporate fit, that it was tough for me. And so I'm letting you in on my secret thought process, which was, well, I'm either going to get more money and that will make it more palatable for me to be where I don't really want to be long-term, or you're gonna cut me free and I will be all able to pursue opportunities that maybe were more meaningful to my heart. Now, I did different jobs in the corporation, the technical realm, and I also on the side did some training and developed seminars and did some speaking and stuff I liked there. But none of my speaking and my seminars and my writing and stuff like that was really anything to do with my actual corporate job. In my actual corporate job, I ended up by being a certified database developer. And to become a certified database developer meant I studied a lot and took certification exams and pursued all of my spare time in learning this technology and keeping up on the technology and interacting with other people that were doing this technology and best practices and how do operating systems change and all of that kind of stuff. To be a certified database developer, you get paid pretty well. And when I retired from my job, my first plan was, I know what I'll do. I'll just continue being a database developer, get my own clients or go subcontract to other developers and I'll make a pretty good living and I can just work from home. Then I won't have to worry about stuttering or crying or anything because I'll be working at home from my own computer. Kind of like Michelle. Hi, Michelle Mack, you're working from home at your computer. That was my plan. And I started getting my client 
list and they were willing to pay me a lot of money <laughs> and I was doing it and I was studying for my next exam and one day I just realized I don't like being a database developer. I don't want to spend my time doing this. So I kept raising my fee. When a new client would contact me, I just kept jacking up my money. And they kept paying it. Again, because I really didn't care at all if they would. And in fact, part of me was hoping that they would say, are you out of your ever living mind that you are charging us this? No. They paid me. So here I was in a quandary. I could continue to do this work that was paying me really well, even though I was retired, work from home, but I would be spending my days doing something I realized I didn't want to do. So brave companions, what I did was probably something really kind of stupid, if I'm thinking from the money side but I passed off all my clients to other very good database developers, made sure that they were taken care of, and then I took all my database study materials, books, manuals, everything that I was studying, and I put it in the recycle. I did not want to look at it one more time. I didn't want to figure out one more algorithm. I didn't want to beta test. I didn't want to do any of this. I didn't want to look at another schematic. I didn't want to do this at all. And so I didn't. So my retirement income went from whopping big on my terms to whopping big zero on my terms. And that caused me to kind of have a bit of a crisis. Mark and I have that's the one thing earlier in the podcast I said it's hard for your loved ones to talk about money. This is some place where I'm really fortunate is that the wonderful Mark and I have always had a really easy time to talk about our money situation and we go through it together and we look at our expenses, we talk about what's priorities. Now again we've had our differences of opinion like when he thinks that maybe I should take this job when maybe I should have been a little more assertive and not but in the end, because of the really good benefits of that job and the good salary and all of that, I was able, when I needed to, to retire at 52. And Mark and I, because we're savers and because we've had other things go on our plate, if I never make any more money at this time, it seems that I would be okay. I wouldn't have to. I might not like take trips around the world or go eat out at gourmet restaurants or do things like that. But overall, I can have a pretty nice, modest lifestyle on what we've got. So that is a big luxury, right? But let's go back to my topic. Just because I don't necessarily have to make money doesn't mean I'm not worth money. And that is a very hard thing for me. If we go back into the Wayback Machine to my website for kids, Tuna Cats Kids Club, which I'll put the link again, well, I'll put the link to it on today's show notes, and they're still up. You can see some of it. I put some of it up as an archive. Well, Tuna Cat in its heyday, I mean, was very popular. It was in books that were dedicated for great websites for kids. It was in magazines. A guy did his, his thesis on Tuna Cat. <laughs> I mean, I had artwork coming from China, from Europe. I had letters from kids. I had authors sending me books for Tunicat to review. 
it was really successful in that regard. But any time that money started to come into the equation, I put my foot down. I just would not pursue in any way something that would let me make money from Tunicat. I was kind of secretly scared that nobody would really pay me money and that then I would have to stop doing Tunicat. If I let myself hope that I could turn that website into something where that could be my actual career, that I could actually, I don't know, you know, license it or create educational materials featuring that character or I don't know what. I knew I didn't really want to charge a subscription to it because my whole purpose for Tunicat was I wanted kids everywhere that were using the internet to have a place that was safe, ad-free, that they could come and be encouraged to be creative. So I didn't want to have a barrier for my base website. I just did not want to buy into like, you know, pay $10 a month or something like that. I, I wanted everybody to be able to access it. Now, in reality, it could have been if I had a decent business partner, if I had any clue what I was doing, I might have been able to offer Tunicat as it was for free and then built in pre, uh, premium service of other things or got contracts with school districts because a lot of school teachers and library systems were using the tools on Tunicat.com to teach the kids. I was doing an awful lot of this stuff for free, building lesson plans, making online tools for these teachers to use. And, you know, there's grant money and different things. My brother is even good at writing grants, but I would not pursue it. I wouldn't pursue it because I told myself like I was an artistic, pure hippie type, that Tuna Cat was my good in the world, and that I was putting creativity into the universe, and I was here to help others. And all of that is true. But the reason I never made money from Tunicat was I would not let myself even contemplate it. And if something even dropped into my lap that looked like it was an offer for me to maybe consider, I would somehow sabotage it the same way I would sabotage a diet plan. I know that you guys can relate to that. You're doing really, really good on your diet and then you would go shoot yourself in the foot. And I would do that around money. Then I would take jobs I didn't care about as a web designer. And I would charge a lot of money. And I would get money. And I would make money for those people. And I didn't care a thing about it. So somehow I have disconnected in my soul and my brain the whole idea that if I'm doing something that I'm naturally good at and naturally enjoy, I don't get paid. If I'm doing something I hate, is a pain, is awful, then I can charge a whole lot of money for it, and that's okay. And again, part of it is I'm hoping that these people I'm charging will tell me no, so I don't have to do this thing I don't want to do. Now, I think another reason why Tuna Cat remained free for all the years that I ran it, even though it probably took up to 60 hours a week of my time, on top of me working for my clients that were paying me money. So I was working day and night during those years. But also, if it's free, you have the ultimate total control over the situation. 
okay, I'm not even a volunteer, right, under an umbrella organization that might have processes or procedures in place. I'm me all by myself, the creator and God of Tunicat. I can decide what goes on the website. I can decide what kids' artworks go on there. I can decide how I respond to it. Every single thing that I want to do, I can do. So if I don't charge any money and I don't have any partners and I don't have any ad revenue and I don't have anything like that, there is nobody to interfere with my perfect universe. And so I then am perfectly happy because I'm realizing my creative vision completely free of constraint or criticism. Now there's parts of Tunicat that maybe would have benefited from a nice outside eye. There might be parts where having a business partner would have made actually Tunicat more accessible to many more children or many other school districts at that time. So I don't know that I really did the highest good by limiting myself and limiting that project in that way. I know that I told myself that I was being spiritual and I was being true to my vision, but I think underlying that was my terrible fear that I couldn't live up to standards. If you were my business partner and you had certain standards for me to meet and it's something I care about and I can't be assertive, how could I then communicate with you? I have this fear that one, I can't live up to the standard or two, your standard was going to somehow pollute or corrupt my vision and I would feel like I was caving in and turning Tunicat into something that goes in a, a McDonald's Happy Meal toy, you know. And it was part good intention, but a big part fear. Which brings us to Compulsive Overeating Diary. Now, again, same kind of thing. I do this podcast completely free of charge. I don't have sponsors. I don't have advertising. I don't have anything about it that really gives me money for doing it. And it does cost me money to do it. And I'm not telling you this because I want you to pay me anything right now. And I'm not even hedging. I'm talking about this because this is a feeling that I've been identifying that's under my eating, uh, my eating behavior and also in my lack of assertiveness. Here's a good example. I just read to you from Eating in the Light of the Moon, and I have mentioned Eating in the Light of the Moon before, and I have put links on my website on those show notes pages to go to Eating in the Light of the Moon, and I am an affiliate with Amazon.com but I've never made a dime as an affiliate because even if I put the link on my website where you could click on it and get Eating in the Light of the Moon, if you go back to those show notes, you will see that what I say is, here's my Amazon link for Eating in the Light of the Moon. If you click this, I will get a little bit of money, but you don't need to click this link. Go to the library or maybe you can find it cheaper somewhere else. Now, all of that is true. I don't want you to spend money on something you don't want or don't need. But here's the facts. If you were going to go to Amazon.com to buy Eating in the Light of the Moon anyway, and you came to my website and you clicked on my link, it doesn't cost you one bit more. In fact, I could even put like a storefront in my website with nothing more than a link that says go to Amazon from this link and then anything that you wanted now at least for the Americans I don't know 
how my affiliate link works if you're in the UK or Canada. I really don't know. But let's say you're in, the, in America and you go to Amazon.com anyway, and I put a link somewhere on my website that says, hey, brave companions, go to Amazon from here. Anything or pretty much everything that you bought in that session would then give me a little bit of money. And it wouldn't cost you any more money at all. But the very idea of like putting a page devoted to, a, to either products I like on Amazon or to let you go there and, and be thinking in your head, hey, I'm going to support Lori by going to Amazon through here. That just makes me cringe. That makes me feel like, oh, now you think I'm only doing compulsive overeating diary for the money. This makes me a sellout. So my podcast, therefore, is not valuable. You will think I don't love you or care for you because I'm asking you to, to give me money somehow. Well, if I can't even tolerate putting a link on my webpage without writing a paragraph about why you should not click that link that would give me a couple of pennies, <laughs> how am I ever going to develop a product where I would ask anyone to pay me? In fact, I went to a book club yesterday with my friends, and in the course of our conversation, I had an idea for a book that might be a good companion to a compulsive overeating diary. And they said, that sounds like a really good idea. And I'm thinking, yeah, I could do that kind of book. And we're talking about, well, maybe you could charge like $2.99 for this book. And I'm going like, but if I do that, then the brave companions will think I want them to pay me for my writing, and that it wouldn't be good then, because then... I would be writing in order to get money. And brave companions, people who are professional writers, get money. Like, I didn't feel bad that I went to Eating in the Light of the Moon and bought it, and that Anita Johnston is going to make money from the fact I bought her work. I don't feel bad about that. I went to Josh's website, and even though he gives me the song, I'm letting go for free, and anyone can get it for free, you can also buy the album that that song is on for $5, and I gave him that $5, and I gave him quite a bit more than $5 in his Kickstarter project because I so appreciate his work, and I didn't feel like Josh was a bad person because I'm giving him money for his work. So where does this come from that I feel like I'm a bad person if I try to do anything that will pay me money for my work that I care about? And let me draw a line in the sand. I have no intention ever, ever, ever of making anyone pay to hear my podcast as it is. I have no intention of that. <laughs> my intent with this podcast is to try to reach as many people who would like to be brave companions as possible because of the comfort and joy it gives to me and to you to have people who are in the similar situation to be support to be a place that is always safe for you to listen to to go to to say what you feel to admit things you might not be comfortable admitting to your friends or your loved ones to always be that and I wish every single person in the world that had an eating issue that would feel better if they heard me and heard you on this podcast I would pay 10 times what I pay to put on this podcast if I could accomplish that. But maybe, brave companions, 
if I came up with something that I could do to use my talent that I'm using to make this podcast, either with companion products or could get up the nerve and the balls to actually put together a speaking proposal or try to do something for money, then one, I could pay for doing this podcast and not ding my household budget, but two, maybe I would have more money that would give me better opportunity to reach out to more brave companions, and I'm just not sure. So I, I guess if any of you are good business people or any of you have good thoughts on this, and I'm really not asking you for money, I'm not being non-assertive, I'm really just very puzzled about myself and with this project, I have a very difficult time, just like I did with Tunicat, I have a very difficult time separating my business mind from my passion self. And I don't think it's necessarily bad to have a career that's based on your passionate talent. I just haven't figured out how to accomplish that. So if any of you have, or if any of you have ideas, I'd be thrilled if you would email them to me at lori at compulsiveovereatingdiary.com. At this point, I'm just really in the figuring it out stage, and I'm trying to get into my head, and I'll probably bring it up with my therapist. And I'm actually putting myself on the bravery report today, because for me to actually admit this to you, who might be negatively impacted by the idea that I could like some money for doing what I do is huge. I find that terrifying and hard. So I hope that you guys understand where I'm coming from and don't feel pressured to go to Amazon or, or do anything like that. I'm using these as examples because I noticed that about myself. And if it's true for me, maybe it's also true for some of you. Anyway, brave companions, until next time, when we'll talk more about intuitive eating, the robot aliens, and other stuff that's going on from your comments, I'll see you next time. Until then, take care, because I care. I'm a slave without a master, heading for disaster, kicking up the dust in the middle of the road. I've been waiting on a free ride, ticket to a seaside thicket on the edge of Puget Sound. And there I'll sit, I'll admit that I was only just a guest inside my skin. I'm letting go